Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Robin Cock is back of the podcast. This is good, isn't it? And I'm joined by the Gaetano Berardi is back of the podcast, Joe Hill. That's also good, isn't it? And finally, the Adam Forshaw is still not back of the podcast. Stop all the clocks, cut off the telephone. It's Tom Woodhead. Tom, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. That's actually the first time I've had one of these um, uh, wooden spoon um, comments at the beginning. I've I've not mentioned it in the past because I thought that would inevitably result in it happening to me every time, but <laughs> I felt lucky to escape for this long. Yeah, and it's not too bad for you, so... Uh, to be compared to Adam Forshaw by you, John, is the <laughs> ultimate compliment, surely. <laughs> exactly. Joe Hill, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm pretty happy with my middle uh middle section in the intro. That's the one I normally get and uh yeah, I'm obviously glad that to see Berardi playing um for the 23s and and Cock coming back. I mean, it does seem like every time a couple of people come back, a couple of people um are out injured again, but I guess that's the way it works. Um but Berardi's was obviously a much longer term one, so to have him back is uh is really nice, yeah. Yeah, well, you've mentioned the injury news there, and I suppose that is the only real news we've had this week. So um, let's start with the the two injuries that have just been announced, or I say injuries, but Liam Cooper mysteriously disappeared with uh, with some kind of illness. It's hard mm-hmm. to imagine what that illness could possibly be. Um, but he is not in the Scotland squad, and when Steve Clark, the Scotland manager, was asked about that, he said Cooper wouldn't be available for the first two games at the very least, so he would only be available possibly for the third one. So it does sound somewhat suspiciously like he has... Uh, Syphilis. The- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Syphilis, it probably is. Rodrigo was also announced out today um, with a, another muscle problem, um, and as Darren mentioned in our in our DMs just now, I'll read it out. Thirty-year-old player with recent injury issues moves from team with notional pressing style to press his team around, and guess what happens next? Um, and that just about sums it up. Um, let's talk a little bit just about Rodrigo. Tom Woodhead. Should we have seen this one coming when we signed him? I think it's very easy with any situation like this to like claim it as hindsight or whatever. I mean, obviously it was a big risk when we did sign him that this would that he would get a lot of muscle injuries, but um we don't know exactly how much of a risk and I think he could have easily gone through the se- the season only having like, you know, one spell out with a muscle injury or he could have or what happened could have happened and we we have to we forget as well that one of his spells out of an injury was COVID as well, wasn't it? I think this is only the second uh, muscle injury, maybe. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really. It, in hindsight, it does seem like a poor signing in that regard. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to be too harsh with with anything that's sort of semi-random like uh, injuries. I think it's very easy to, you know, it, it, the opposite can also be true. You can sign a player who's got a long injury record for a low fee because. You know he's got a, low, a long injury record, so the fee is lower than it normally would be, and then he doesn't have any injuries for a couple of years, and it looks like you've got a bargain. And on both sides, I I kind of I think it's sometimes a bit easy to come down um, based upon the outcome rather than 
upon the initial assessment of probability. Joe Hill, I guess the counter-argument I would give to that is that Rodrigo hasn't really looked like he's fitted in with our style of play. And so what you've got now is a, a, a weird conundrum in which you've got the most expensive player the club has ever bought playing in a system that doesn't really seem to suit him and he's also getting all of these injuries as well so how are you feeling about the Rodrigo um, signing in hindsight? I do agree with Tom in that it's obviously easy to to look back in hindsight and um, and say that it was a bad decision to sign him in the first place. Um, I think I'm still in two minds I mean Bielsa did sort of defend him in the press conference and just say, well, um, he didn't even have a preseason. Basically, he came in and it took him four weeks to get up to scratch and just to just to put another defence for Rodrigo, just to echo what Bielsa is saying, really. And just you know, I think with if he had had a preseason, if he'd had a long summer, if he'd signed right at the start of the summer for Leeds, then um, you know it could have been a different story. And I don't just want to write him off um, right now because if he doesn't go to the Euros then he'll have a whole summer of recovery and getting back up to fitness and um, and then he could look a completely different player um, next season so I do feel a bit sorry for him and um, just coming in at this at this moment in this weirdest season that we've ever had um, and sort of expected to to be at top level um, so it's a bit unfortunate that he's had the the injuries that he's had but I still feel sort of positive that maybe next season, um, with a bit of a break, that he could be the player that we're looking for. Well, let's talk about all those players who we've got back. So we've got Robin Koch back after his knee operation. Uh, played for the under-23s on Monday against Newcastle. Uh, played in the first half, played in the defensive midfield role. Um, it was just nice to see him getting out out there and, and moving pretty freely, looking like you will be fine to be playing for the senior squad. Uh, Gaetano Brani's played at Berardi's played a couple of times now for the under 23s and will be in and has been on the, the, the bench in, in, in games as well. Looks like he'll be an option as well. And I guess the other good news is that Pat Bamford seems to be fit after his um, injury uh, the weekend. And so he'll be available as well. So all in all, um, pretty good news on the on the injury front and uh, nice to have a, a fairly full stable of centre backs available to us uh, at this point. The other injury mentioned was the rumour that Adam Forshaw would be back in training this week. I don't know if anyone's seen any evidence that that has been the case. I saw that um, someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, so apologies, but um, they said they bumped into Forshaw in Harrogate or something and he said he, he was back in training. So that's the only that's the only thing I've seen. I think that was Barney, but I'm not entirely sure what, what I mean, obviously that's it's it's hearsay and speculation, whatever, but even what that would entail, would that mean maybe getting back onto the grass for the first time, training on it on his own? And um, yeah, I think had Adam Forshaw come back to full training, we would probably have seen some evidence for that by now. So yet again, it appears that the uh, the common and garden Forshaw has, has not been sighted on the fields of Thorpe uh, Arch again, but he- here we are. You could always hire a private detective with some of the <laughs> Patreon money. <laughs> to follow him around see what's really going on you live not far away from him do you want to do you want to do that you could be our investigative journalist i can't drive though i could <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have to drive very quick to follow him yeah, no this is the sounds of it this is not a a podcast that is exclusively about the injury status of all our players so let's move on to talk about the fulham game that's coming up on friday this week, I was lucky enough to talk to Jack J. Collins of Fulhamish and Ranks FC podcasts, respectively, and this is what he had to say about Fulham. So, Jack, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm not too bad. Uh, it's, it's delightful to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. Mm, yeah, and we were just saying before we came on air that, that things have turned a little bit for Fulham recently, so um, still still a chance of going down, as you said, but things are looking a lot more positive than they were maybe a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, you look at the first couple of games of the season, you compare them to, to the run that Fulham have just been on, maybe aside from the Man City game, and, and, and things are, are, are very different at the cottage. I think the attitude is very different. The, the overall feel around the club is very different. And now, which is quite a weird one, it feels almost like if we go down, we'll be incredibly disappointed. It'll be like a, a real annoyance, a real oh, we thought we were going to do it among the fans. And, and maybe that's maybe that's awful. Maybe the you know the quiet resignation of the last time we went down is a little bit easier to stomach. But it, it's lovely to be in the conversation. It's lovely to have a fighting chance. It's lovely to be competitive in games because that's been the biggest change, I think, from the last time around. Well, let's talk about that change because what is it that you think has occasioned it? Why have Fulham gone from being 
fairly abject at the beginning of the season to being, as you've said, competitive in games? Well, I think what we've seen is Fulham become a competent defensive unit again. And arguably, this is the first time Fulham have been competent defensively since Roy Hodgson left. So we're talking an almost a decade since Fulham have been, have been good at defending. And it's a strange one because in that time we got used to kind of the swashbuckling football that Slavisa Jakanovic played where Fulham would concede most games but we'd score three or four so it didn't really matter and then you look at how that compares to now whereas Fulham are built now on clean sheets on that centre-back pairing of Tosin and Joachim Anderson on Olaina and Kenny Tete and Anthony Robinson coming in and of course the heroics of Alphonse Ariola. so it, you know for the first time since maybe Hughes and Hangeland were together as a centre-back partnership it's almost like okay Fulham can grind out a nil-nil and then they might hit you on the break rather than Fulham will definitely concede and then probably score Uh, and it makes life well probably slightly more dull in terms of actually watching Fulham especially as a neutral I suppose but it does mean that Fulham are competitive in almost every game now which is a which is a nice change. One of the questions I've been asking in the second half of the season to the guests on this show is, um, what do you think the biggest challenge for you is going to be going into the rest of the season? And I guess, obviously, for Fulham, that challenge is getting out of the relegation zone. But do you, what, what do you see as being maybe a, an underlying challenge in that respect? What are the things that, you, that Fulham need to be doing well if they are to, to get out of the relegation zone by the end of the season? We haven't scored anywhere near enough goals and we haven't taken our chances when when they've been presented to us and especially in games like Brighton away where we had a couple of chances in the last five minutes to you know to nab it and it would have been a nab, it would have been a smash and grab. But Fulham haven't taken those chances and we've had a lot of nil-nils. We had a 2-2 with West Brom where we should have been 4-0 up in the first half and, and, and failed to capitalise on any of the opportunities made. And... I think what happened in those periods, we had a, a you know the draw with West uh, with West Brom, the draw with Brighton, all in the space of a week, and it felt like that was the chance gone almost to capitalise. And then you turn around, you beat Everton away, you beat Liverpool away, and you suddenly everything's back on again. And and weirdly, it's been our home form that's been slightly lacking. We, we've really failed to score goals. I think we've scored eight goals at home all season, so so that's not ideal. Um, and, and going forward, we've been a little bit toothless now. Is that a balance out to the fact that we have become competent defensively? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a natural reaction to to the way that it's happened. And I think that over the last couple of weeks, Scott Parker reverting to four at the back uh, and, and kind of kicking on with that has allowed us to open up a little bit more in the final third. But we are still lacking a sharp edge. And I think that's going to be where it's won or lost in terms of staying up this season. And so with all that in mind, how positive are you feeling about the chance of staying up this season? Yeah, relatively positive. It's one of these really strange ones where everything around the club feels like we've pulled ourselves out of it almost already. You know, the the, the spirit and the feel around it. And when we lost to Man City, it was like, right, set back, but doesn't matter. We'll jump on, we'll come back again, we'll bounce back stronger. And that whole atmosphere around the club has almost got to the point where it feels like Fulham are 17th and, and are pulling away, not 18th and still chasing. And, and maybe that's slightly dangerous in itself because it gives you this kind of false dawn that you're already on the way out of it rather than still trying to reel in the teams above. And, and, and that does play into everyone's minds a little bit. I think it does. It will, as you get towards the end of the season, as it edges ever closer, getting out of those spots and, you know, and, and fighting to push people back below you rather than actually getting above them is probably you know, more of a, a positive vibe. And, and I think that's going to be important. And I think that this weekend, therefore, with Brighton playing Newcastle, with us playing first, obviously, against Leeds, it's, it's a huge opportunity in that if we, can, if we could win that game, we can get three points. It's such a pressure point on Brighton and Newcastle in that game that follows the, the following day and, and therefore kind of puts everything a little bit more in perspective. So I am confident that we'll stay up. I still think it's going to be incredibly tight. I had people the other week being like, it's going to be fine. We're going to finish 16th, seven points clear. And I was like, I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately, <laughs> lads. I'd love it to be, but I don't think it's going to it's going to quite work like that. So I am confident, but maybe not quite as confident as the rest of the camp seem to be. Well, let's go back and talk to that 4-3 fixture uh, earlier this season, Elland Road. What did you make of the last game between these two sides? 
Well, it was chaos, wasn't it? Um, and, and much as I love chaos and famously really, really enjoy chaos, this was this was the kind of chaos that I, I don't think anyone much enjoyed. I mean, obviously you got the points, but I think surrendering a 4-1 lead probably wasn't the most enjoyable <laughs> period for anyone. And, and when you look at all of that and, and actually you look at the way that the two teams have adapted, shall we say, to, to the league through that and and obviously Bielsa has his style and and while he is not as stubborn as perhaps he's made out to be occasionally in the media he is he is a man who believes in his philosophies and, and sticks with them and I actually think that Fulham are a, a completely different side to they to you know the side not, not just in personnel because actually you look at the the side that started that game and you look at the side that will probably start on Friday night and you'd imagine there are going to be sort of eight changes in 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 the ranks and that that makes a, a hell of a difference I think um but I do think this game will be far, far cagier. I think it will be a a less aggressively chaotic affair. And while, you know, as I say, I did enjoy that. I enjoyed the Slavisa Jukanovic swashbuckle. I enjoyed Fulham, Fulham being a both teams to score game every single week. I do think that in terms of survival... These are the games that, you know, you look at what Bielsa has done, you look at the side, you're not going to, to outwork him and, and outplay him in those kind of games. If you're going to win this side, you need to keep it tight and, and actually nab one and, and, and try and play to your own strengths rather than playing into leaders. And, and I think that Fuller will be slightly better set up to try and do that this time around. Yeah, do you think we'll see anything different from Scott Parker this time around? Because I think actually he's definitely got the tactics broadly right against Leeds in the last few fixtures. Uh, I think they you've pressed us really well, um, high, and I think that causes us problems. You've just been let down a little bit defensively. So you've mentioned that the defence is a little bit stronger this time around. Do you think that that's all going to play into Fulham's hands then? I don't know about playing into Fulham ha- Fulham's hands because the way that it obviously works will, will be that game of cat and mouse. And, and as you say, while... You know, and, and Bielsa said that he thought that Parker has has, has manoeuvred really well around the last couple of games that these two sides have played. You know, it's not been happy camping still for Fulham, and and actually that's the difference, right? It doesn't it doesn't matter if if you if you get the praise from the opposition man. It's very Pep, isn't it? You know, Pep always praises whoever he beats. If he loses, he's far less lavish with that <laughs> praise. And and I, I suppose maybe the the trick here is. Do, I, I, I love Bielsa and I'm a Bielsa acolyte, but I don't want his praise this week. I want three points. <laughs> and and I think that Parker does broadly get this right. And I think that that high press will be in effect. Um, but I think this will be a game where Fulham look to, to keep it tight, very tight at the back. I wouldn't be surprised to see the midfield three that we saw against City again. Uh, for the first time, we saw Anguissa, Lamina and Harrison Reid deployed together uh, in a much more kind of defensively cohesive unit. Um, I think that Josh Madger will lead the line, which means that that press should be more effective from the front. Um, and and I think we will press high, but once we've once that first line of press has been broken, I think Fulham will drop off. Um, and that's what we started to see a little bit. Ruben Loftus-Cheek led the line against Man City. I thought he was reasonably ineffective through the middle there. I like him as a 10. I think he gets unfair stick from a lot of Fulham fans, potentially because he's a Chelsea player. Um, but also, you know, he plays quite a weird, difficult role and he's done a lot of hard yards without any sort of real gain for Fulham. Um, yeah. And But I think it will be Madger because I think, like you say, that press is going to be important. I just think we might see more of a drop-off than we've seen in previous games once that first line is broken. Let's talk a little bit about the the tactics through the course of the season. Do you think that Fulham have changed their tactics much this season? Yeah, completely. And and actually, credit to Parker. I, I often say this, and, and I said it the last time I think I came on, that what I love about Parker is not that he gets everything right. It's not that he is you know, a phenomenal tactician that gets, uh, gets it right game after game after game. But what I do love is that when Scott Parker makes mistakes, he sometimes takes a little while to realise, but... He usually comes round and fixes them. And actually, I think we saw in those games over the Christmas period that culminated in those West Brom and Brighton games that the five at the back was really stifling Fulham in the middle. And we were getting overrun in midfield time and time again. And, you know, when when Sam Allardyce is outmanoeuvring you in games, I think that's a time to sit back and be like, right, we need to take stock of this and, and work out where we're going wrong. And, and credit to Parker, because at that point, he realised that the midfield was getting overrun. He decided to to gamble on the fact that he thought Adrabio and Anderson were going to be strong enough in a, in a without the back three in order to you know to still keep up this defensive solidity. And he changed it back to a four at the back, which I think has really really improved Fulham going forward. It's improved Fulham's control of games. We're seeing a, a lot more games where where Fulham do have the kind of 
general state of play that we do we are able to knock the ball around the back and and while the second half at Man City was was a little bit rough and ready at times actually Fulham's best chances and best breaks in the first half came from the confidence of of the back four to knock it around and and, and be able to to invite City onto them and and I think that's brave from Parker so I think that shift from five to four has really impacted Fulham's season. It has really been the platform from which we've kicked on to pick up a couple of wins and, and put ourselves right back in the survival conversation. You've already mentioned this, but you've brought in a few new players since we last played. I was actually watching, I watched the Fulham Crystal Palace game uh, back last night just for a bit of research. And um, I noticed that in that in the, in the squad that day, or at least the starting 11, there's only two players who played in the championship. So you've got like nine players essentially who've been brought in to 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 take up the slack this season i'm interested in in what you what you make of that sort of influx of new players because we're always told as, as leeds fans because we don't bring in a huge amount of players every every window that you know you can't ever bring in eight or nine new players uh, at a time but you've you've done that this season and and how do you how do you think that's gone and, and what impact do you think that's made it's a risky process, isn't it? I mean, I think you look at Fulham's last tenure in the Premier League, right, where we completely revamped the entire side. It didn't work. There was no cohesion. Then we went back to the championship and played the old guard again. And it was a real kind of removal of worlds, one from the other. It felt like Fulham in the championship were a completely different side to Fulham in the Premier League. And I don't know what it is. And maybe it's Parker and maybe it's Parker's influence and his ability to talk to the press and talk through it. But it doesn't feel as complete and utter overhaul this time round. And, and despite the fact, as you say, that we're, we're looking at a team that really doesn't have many of the championship level. And you see Ivan Cavallero, Bobby Decordova-Reed and Harrison Reed are really the only survivors. Obviously, Alexander Mitrovic is still in the squad. Joe Bryan still here about and around. And Josh Onam is working his way back into the side. But, you know, this is a completely new, new team in, in many ways. But I think that's what Parker's credentials have brought he's managed to mould a side very quickly who look like they're fighting and dying for each other and, and it's an overused cliche isn't it you know play, that player's dying for the badge and dying for the shirt but there is a level especially in a relegation scrap I think where where fans especially and especially not being there are expecting to see players who who really really want it especially given that there's been this overhaul it's one thing bringing a new player in and it being one player in, a, in an old team that they know well and they love you know, and, and and not being too convinced by their work rate. It's another thing seeing nine players. And actually to do that, you have to see that work rate. You have to see that ability and you have to see the the kind of desire to, to keep it up. And, and Jürgen Manson coming in and being captain, I think, is maybe the best example of this, right? Given the armband in the absence of Tom Kearney and has really been a leader from the back, not only on the pitch, but his statements on social media, his statements off it, his constant kind of addresses to the press that we believe we can get out of this. I feel like home and it feels like a, a genuine captaincy. And and they always say, don't they, don't fall in love with lone players. It's a, it's a dangerous game to play. But, but Jürgen Anderson is making that very difficult, I think, for Fulham fans, <laughs> given how much he looks like he is committed to the cause and how much he seems to believe that Scott Parker and, and his men can get out of this still. So, yeah, there's been an overhaul, but it doesn't feel as drastic as the last time round, and perhaps that's yeah Parker's Parker's influence. Yeah, you don't need to talk to the Leeds fans about falling in love with lone players. I think that's still a bit of a sore point for for some of us. But let's talk, let's talk about the game on Friday. First off, how are you looking injury wise at the moment? Yeah, only Tom Kearney really uh, a significant miss, and he appears to be working his way back to form, back to to fitness. Um, I don't know how Tom Kearney fits into this side right now. Um, we, we love Tom Kearney, obviously. Um, but there is a level to this where this side is now an incredibly hard-working, um, high-pressing side that that really does get after people. And Tom Kearney is a wonderful footballer, an absolute magician. That left peg is, is liquid when it wants to be. But it he's also a, a kind of carried 10 in some ways you know he is an old school playmaker a Rui Costa if you will kind of esque player who who isn't necessarily the same player as say a Ruben Loftus-Cheek despite the criticism who who will you know press he'll harry he's physically quite 
you know, capable, competent. And I'm interested to see if Tom Kearney comes back in and, and, and really does start to become the kind of lifeblood and heartbeat of this side again. Because I think there have been games this season where we've really missed him. We've really missed someone able to put their foot on the ball and provide that final pass, provide that bit of quality when it's all been a little bit frantic. And, and perhaps his return to the side will give us that quality in the final third that will see us over the line. Um, but yeah, on the whole, we've been really... Well, I say lucky with injuries. Um, how much of it is luck and how much of it is, is good management of the squad, good rotation, good fitness and, and medical staff behind the scenes it is another matter. But we have been very good in terms of keeping players fit for the majority of the season. So how do you think you'll line up on Friday? Pretty much the same. I would imagine we might see Anthony Robinson back in at left back um, just for that added thrust down that left-hand side. Um, but it will be Anderson and Adrobio barring late late changes in terms of injury that, that we haven't seen so far. Um, it will either be Kenny Tete or Olaina at right back. Um, it, they've been interchangeable this season. They've both been excellent. Uh, everyone's pretty happy with either. I think it will. I think he'll stick with Harrison Reed, Mario Lamina and Frank Anguissa in the middle, um, just because I think there's going to be a point in this game where we might need to overload that middle and, and just try and get foot on the ball and slow things down a little bit. And and that should probably help us. And then I imagine it'll be Madja, Lookman and one of Cavaleiro or uh, or Decadova Reed on the right-hand side. Bobby Reed was out midweek or out on on Saturday night for the City game. We're not sure if it was a knock or the birth of a child by his partner. So um, <laughs> Fulham are incredibly cards close to the chest when it comes to injury news, when it comes to players missing. We don't find out usually until the day of the game. And actually often the team sheet comes out and you're like, hang on, where, where's Bobby Reed? And and then like after the game, they'll be like, oh, he had a slight knock and we were a little bit worried about him. Like, hey, why did nobody say anything? But but perhaps that's you know part of it and keeping keeping things close so that opposition managers don't know quite how to, to react to things. But yeah, I, I think it will be that high press in the in the front line and then a midfield three to try and stodge it out when things do start to speed up a little bit in the game. One question I ask all of our guests is which of your players needs to play well if you were to beat Leeds on Friday? Anguissa is always huge for us. Um, you know, obviously the stats speak for themselves in terms of how many carries he's had in terms of his dribbles. He's having, you know, a statistically quite bizarre campaign. He's a little bit of a unicorn. Um, but he, when he plays well and he does carry the ball and, and does become that kind of uh, progressive threat from, from midfield, he does really impact Fulham in that there's suddenly the options open out and Adamola Lookman has a little bit more space on the left and, Bobby Reed has a little bit more space on the right, and that's actually how we've seen quite a lot of joy happen for, for Fulham this season. In in terms of Lookman, he has flashed hot and cold, but when he's on form, he's an incredibly difficult player to play against, and he does sort of terrorise fullbacks quite regularly. Um, the the back three, I kind of speak for themselves in terms of Anderson, Adrobio and, and Areola. If, if they play well, then we'll, we'll keep you out. It's as simple as that, and... You know, when when they've been on form this season, we've been almost impenetrable. Um, save save the old you know bits and bobs. So, yeah, you know those three at the back are crucial. Uh, I think Anguissa will be massive, and and Lookman's form. If Lookman is on form and and on fire, he, he's very difficult to stop. And I think that's our best chance at, at nicking a goal and kind of coming away with a one 0 And on the other side of the team sheet, which Leeds players are you worried about? Rafinha it's um it's easy to say isn't it um but he's he's a delight a, a real delight and and I think we're gonna see and a lot, a lot of my friends I know Sam Ty is a is a huge Rafinha fanboy but I, I think we're going to see a lot of teams regretting that they didn't make that move for him in the summer because he is genuinely I think a world-class talent a, a player of, of genuine top level caliber a Champions League air level player and will will carry on improving he's I think he's only starting to hit his stride and we're already seeing week in, week out kind of just how good he is. Um, he terrifies me, if I'm if I'm absolutely honest, from a, from a Fulham perspective. I think he is an absolute world, world beater. Uh, and on his day, there's going to be, he's similar. On his day, no one could stop him. And and that in itself is is difficult to come up against. But yeah, he's, if Bamford's out, I, um, 
I will be grateful. I know that he's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know that I uh, I, I I join you quite regularly on Bamford Island. I think he's a wonderful <laughs> footballer, and that uh, he, um, he he does a real a real job. That I think that we haven't seen Rodrigo Moreno quite get up to that speed uh, this season. That's not to say that I think he's a failure. I think he will come good. I think he's talented enough to to justify you know giving him the time to settle and and really start to adapt to life. But I think without Bamford, you're a, a less cohesive unit, and that's a good thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't ask for predictions on this podcast, but I'm actually more interested in how you think the game's going to sort of ebb and flow. So what do you make of the the way the game will pan out on, on Friday? I think we'll start fast. We've seen that, reg- you know, actually at the start of the season, we were really, really sluggish out of the blocks first half. Interesting, Fulham start the first half fast and the second half really slowly for, for no apparent reason whatsoever. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm not sure if it's on purpose or just it is the way that it works. But we tend to start games quickly, put the pressure on. I'd imagine then we will retreat back into our shell, sort of second quarter, if you will, for, to, to go all basketball on you um, and, and kind of let, let you come onto it. And then in the in the second half, again, we will start a little bit more compact and try and grow into it. I think our fitness levels have been good. Whether that changes because we're playing probably the, the fittest team in the league changes, but um, that's the kind of shape that Fulham's games have tended to go in. We're you know very good first twenty minutes, slow it down a little bit, and and then sort of make a late dash to the line in the in this in the first half, and then come out withdraw. Keep it, try and keep it compact for sort of 20 minutes and then try and expand into the last row. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out against a lead side who you have the energy and the capacity to go 90 minutes and and will kind of go to the line every single time. Um, and so I think actually that last quarter is going to be an incredibly interesting period for, for both sides because it will see a battle of, of you know, two quite technically technically good sides, but also two sides who ha- have seemed to to save their their best bits for the last quarter of games at, at times and really start to push on, especially if they're especially if it's locked. If it's deadlocked at that time, you know, you're gonna see two times two sides who want to who want to go on and win it, obviously. But you know, it, it will be two it's not gonna be Fulham digging in for a draw there, I don't think. I don't think a draw now is probably good enough. And interestingly at the start, sort of just before Christmas, nil nil at eighteen minutes, I think you would have seen Fulham retreat and been like, we'll take that actually. That point's quite good for us. Whereas now I think Fulham are starting to come out and be like, we need to win these games. Three points are important if we're going to survive. The point's almost not going to, it's not justifiable in terms of not trying to win it. Uh, and, and so that that last quarter, I think, will be incredibly interesting. Well, Jack, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What is the best way for our listeners to catch what you're doing in a, in football media sense? Because you're doing a lot at the moment. Yeah, um, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on, John. So thank you for having me. Um, I'm at Jack J Collins on Twitter, um, and uh, well, I mean, Fulham stuff is all at Fulhamish Pod, but I imagine that's of little to no interest after this weekend. <laughs> um, but you can catch us at, at Rank Squad um, with the Ranks FC podcast, where things are a lot more general, and we have uh, yeah, we have a fair bit of fun over there. So uh, if you're looking for a new general football podcast, and we'd love to have you over at Ranks FC. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So that was Jack J. Collins of the Fulhamish podcast and the Ranks FC podcast too. In terms of questions, Joe, what sort of ideas did you were thrown up in your mind when you were listening back to what Jack had to say? Well, I was thinking about uh, what Jack mentioned about the game times, about this breaking it into quarters, that kind of thing. Um, obviously, Jack mentioned that Fulham might uh, hit us hard and put turn the high press on, sort of first 15, 20, and then maybe sit deep and try not to concede. Um, 
and it, it made me it made me remember this graph that was circulating on Twitter um, a few weeks ago about um, the times uh, during the games during which you concede. Um, so I've got it in front of me, and Leeds is worst um, sixth, I suppose. Leeds is worst fifteen minute spell um, is sixteen to thirty. So we've only scored three goals in that spell, and we've conceded twelve. Um, and the following 15, just before half time, we've scored six and conceded eight, um, which, which isn't too bad. But that, that middle section of the first half is incredibly leaky and we rarely score in that period. So it did make me think um, that if I was Scott Parker, I'd probably target that area. Um, I'm not sure what I'm not sure if that's just a complete an- anomaly or um, if something happens mentally uh, to us in that period. Um, and just on the flip side of that, um, after half time there's some more quite uh, there's some more interesting stats which are that um Fulham have conceded 11 goals in the 15 minutes after half time and only scored two um so that's a really poor period for them even though jack said they they tend to come out quite strong in the second half um the stats don't necessarily back that up so those are sort of two target areas that um if i was if i was the manager i'd be looking to target and it's pretty interesting as well that Leeds seem to be doing quite well in the second half as well um I think they they haven't they've broken even at least in every of every one of those three fifteen minute periods. So nine goals scored, three against in the first one, nine nine in the second one, and then eight goals scored and five conceded in the in the final fifteen. So yeah, it does seem as though Leeds Leeds do look quite atrocious in the first half and much better in the second half, which I think probably comes down to the fact that Bielsa is a smart manager and he can tweak things around at half time um, and does respond to those sorts of things happening. Um, Tom Woodhead, what do you make of that? Yeah, it is interesting, especially I think that um, the sort of aggregate of Fulham's bad start to second halves and our good start to second halves is, you know, if you worked out some kind of goal difference there for each team, there's a, there's a big, big gap there. Um, and we, this is usually when Bielsa, if, if Bielsa is going to make a big tactical change, that's usually when it is, isn't it, at half time. So it will be interesting to see if we see anything like that um, in this game. If things aren't quite aren't, aren't quite going as planned, we might see uh, Bielsa do something a bit different, which he has done at halftime a few times this season. What about yourself? What sort of ideas were were conjured up when you were listening to Jack back? Well, I was just thinking about how Fulham are a much more solid team now than they've historically been or historically tried to be, um, and we have often struggled against teams that have sat back this season. Teams like Wolves and Spurs. Um, and to, uh, the first Leicester game, things like that. But when we've played teams that are lower down in the table, the relegation threatened teams, uh, I'm thinking of Burnley, Newcastle, West Brom, um, Sheffield United, teams like that that have sat back more. Uh, we have tended to get results. Um, we lost to Brighton, but I don't think Brighton really sat back in quite the same way. They tried to play more of a possession style. So um, I was just wondering, is this a game where we will once again be able to sort of rely on the individual quality of our players to win those one-on-one battles and um, will the man-marking system work in our favour a bit more than it has done in some of the previous games? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I instinctively feel as though in the last few times we played Fulham, they've almost had the upper hand to a certain extent. And obviously, we we came out really well in the in the first Premier League fixture against them, uh, but we did give away a four-one lead, and, and it came quite dicey towards the end. I think we 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 were very comfortable at four-three though, weren't we? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But then I, I think of the the uh, the other game that we played at the end of last season at uh, Elland Road, where. Fulham dominated us for the first half and then we came and gazumped them. We got three goals in the in the um, second half on the break. Um, and I think there's certain things that Fulham do quite well that, um, that actually make it hard for us to play well, uh, particularly their high press. We've seen that Leeds can struggle with, with high presses in the build-up phase and I think Fulham have a fairly good good high press. And to be honest with you, watching back, the, I've watched back the last four games that Fulham have played this week and... Um, it does seem as though their tactics are sort of structured around getting their press right and then sort of inshallah hope for the best everything else. It doesn't it does there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of attacking build up um training work that's being done. It does seem to be the attacking um 
angle is sort of try and win the ball up when the teams are building up and make the most of their destabilized uh, situation given that you've you've counterpressed a little bit there so i do i do find this this angle quite interesting because i think maybe when it comes to individual quality i would suspect they probably have better players than us would you not agree with that possibly true i think that's quite hard to judge but um i almost see our individual quality as being more in this in this sense um individual quality in a man marking system if that makes sense so we're so used to playing it and Fulham aren't used to playing against it so I think that gives us a natural edge so it's not that our players need to be better than the opposition they just need to be not much worse than the opposition if that makes sense I do feel as though this could be quite similar to the Southampton game insofar as you know obviously Southampton do press quite high and Leeds had a lot of joy in the second half against Southampton by just playing it over the press and and, and just taking that out of the equation it'd be interesting to see if we did something similar to that uh, at the weekend I think that maybe the, the reason why we won't do that is because we'll be away from home so there won't be quite the same concern about the quality of the pitch weirdly um, but I, I, that, that thought did spring into my mind it, it was a little bit like that in the championship game the second the second championship game towards the end of last mm. season wasn't it I think we weren't quite direct in that game yeah I think I think we did and um, it would be good to see that sort of thing happening again I mean the same the same sort of pattern happened in, the, in those two games right was that Fulham pressed us really really intensely in the in the, the game at the end of the championship season and uh, instead of trying to play it through that press we just started going long and uh, we, we had quite a bit of joy from doing that uh, Joe I'll bring you in on this have you got any thoughts on, on what we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes yeah, I think that's that's definitely the way uh, to beat the press, isn't it? By going long. And there's been a lot of games recently where um, the players and Bielsa have said that um, we should be doing that more if the if the press is really intense from the opposition. Um, I think related to the the mid table lower table thing, um, it's kind of exactly how how it should be, really, or exactly uh, in my opinion, at least. I think we're in a good place where we're beating the teams that are lower down in the table teams that are somewhere in the middle you know we're getting results against Leicester and Everton even though uh, well they they beat us once and we beat them once so it's kind of 50-50 and then the top six um, we still it'd still be nice to get a result against them but um, the best we've got is draws against the top six um, so I think that's kind of a good position to be in and um, it I think it just shows the team that uh the team that Bielsa's turned us into that he's turned these mid-table championship players into um, pretty much mid-table Premier League players um, and then the thing that's going to stop us from getting to that next level I think then it comes down to the individual quality but um, like Tom was saying uh, in terms of the quality in a man-marking system I think it is enough to beat the teams uh, lower down in the Premier League so I do feel fairly positive for this one. I must say that another uh, factor that complexifies this whole debate is the fact that uh, I was watching, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the in the podcast, I've been watching quite a few of their games recently, and um, in terms of the the team that played against uh, the Palace game, I'd watched before I spoke to Jack, and in that game, there's only two players who'd played in the championship for them. Um, and it's it, it, this is essentially a story of a season where they've completely changed the clientele they have in their in their in their team and you could almost read it as the turn and the change in fortune that Fulham have had has come because they've actually had enough time now to play together with this with this new team that that is is on the field that they've they're they're starting to get the benefit of having essentially brought in a, a load of higher quality as well so I wonder whether or not there's any I'll go to you on this Tom but whether or not you wonder whether or not they're Fulham are not really worth the position they're in on the field because they started out badly because they didn't have time to gel as a team and now they're playing much better they're probably playing as more of a mid-table team and so the quality issue might be uh, slightly complexified there yeah I think that's possibly true but uh, there's this sort of an added level with Fulham isn't there because Fulham are almost like um, they're sort of the analogy that people go to when you're talking about uh, the cliched team you know buying a new team in the summer concepts like they're they're the touchstone that everyone points to for what not to do from what they did last time they came into the Premier League. So I think they will have been naturally very cautious about integrating those new players, partly for that reason, because it ended so disastrously last time. Um, so I think they've been quite smart about it in the end, actually. Um, in not, uh, They have basically bought a new team, but they've not just thrown all the old players out 
uh, out of the side without giving them a chance to prove themselves first, which I think is what they did last time they came up. You know, they signed a lot of new players and just said to the old players, we don't think you're good enough. Whereas it does seem this time that this time that they've, uh, they've you know they've given those players enough rope and if if they can't cope with it then new players will come in and, and do and they have been doing better so uh, Parker seems actually um, despite um, initial impressions when he first took the job in the championship to have a potentially quite promising future as a as a manager at the top or just below the top level he seems to know what he's doing yeah I I guess I I'm not quite so high on him still but and I think that's mainly because I think what they do is they they press quite well as a team, and and then they don't really have anything beyond that. Now, obviously, that's that's good. <laughs> it's better than nothing. But I, I do wonder whether or not. I mean, even just looking through their results, they they beat. I think they beat West Brom early on in the season. They had a good result against Leicester, and then it was awful for ages and ages until they beat Everton and then they've beaten Sheffield United and then there's that freak result against Liverpool. I think a lot of people are sort of taking those three wins in in whatever it is, five games, six games, um, and and assuming that that's gonna carry on. They've got they've got a tough run coming here and I still think that, you know, they, they may well stay up, um, but they've got a lot of work to do to to get out of the um the relegation zone even as things stand and I do think if you look at the quality of that squad and the quality of the the squad they had in the championship and you look at the quality of the of the amount of money they've spent in the last few uh seasons and they've spent in and brought players in in every window pretty much um I do think that you probably should be getting more out of this squad but maybe maybe he will do that maybe maybe this is like the turning point but I just I just kind of think that a couple of good results don't necessarily um translate into therefore be- becoming a much better team and having watched some of their games like I think they they're a lively team. They press well. They've got some really good players, but um, I don't see enough structure there to to see them consistently getting getting results. And even just looking at their next run of fixtures, I mean, yeah, of course they could beat us. They could beat Villa. They could beat Wolves. Um, but they haven't been beating those teams so far in the season. And I think for them to get out of the the relegation zone comfortably, they're going to have to put a points per game number up much higher than the one they've been putting up so far in the season. So yeah, I'm 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 sort of willing to be um to be challenged on on Parker but I still think that I want to see more from him as a manager but I I suppose I was I was comparing him to you know Steve Bruce and people like right okay yeah you know I I wasn't saying this is this guy's going to be an incredible manager I just think he he obviously is at least thinking about these problems and thinking about ways to solve them in ways that certain managers towards the bottom of the Premier League aren't yeah, and I, to be honest, like a lot of what goes on in with Fulham reminds me a lot of the sort of stuff that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing as well. Um, insofar as you know, Manchester United can actually play fairly decent pressing football if they if they need to. They're quite reactive, um, but the issue is is they just don't have that attacking structure that really allows them to to make the most of the quality of players they've got. There seems to be that idea that if a manager has good players, then they should be just naturally atta- have that natural attacking instinct and ability when actually the i think the evidence that you get from play uh, managers like um Guardiola and and Marcelo Bielsa is that you know you can coach to a certain extent that that build up phase that that then allows you to make the most of those players so yeah i think i think maybe i'm being harsh on 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 Parker but um i for me i, I guess for a younger manager like himself i would expect way more in the way of sort of attacking ideas rather than than just this ability to get teams um, playing in, in presses. But this isn't a podcast about Scott Parker, so I'll move us on. But um, I do want to talk about the structure because, and, and this again brings me back to what I've been saying about the pressing, because I, I've looked through the last 10 games they've played and they've play, played five different systems, I think, in that um in that in that time so uh, they played a 3-5-2 they played a 3-4-3 they played a 4-4-2 they played a 4-2-2-2 and last week they played against Man City with a 4-3-3 or a 4-1-4-1 roughly Um, and I think that probably comes down to the fact that he is maybe setting his teams up structurally to face uh, opposition teams in terms of pressing patterns uh, rather than rather than anything else I think maybe also um, it will come down to who he has available as well. I think he's probably been quite good at, at rotating the, the players that he's got on the field. But again, he has the ability to do that because he actually does have quite a deep squad in terms of in terms of the players that are available. So um, I'll put this out to you guys in terms of in terms of the structure and and given that we are reactive in terms of our man marking, um, does anyone have any 
gut feeling about which structure we're going to see against uh, against Fulham on Friday? My gut feeling would be the four three three, which is what Jack mentioned on the opposition view. Um, I think. They they did okay against City in in the four three three and City got three goals in the space of fifteen minutes but they managed to hold them out for the first half and I think they'll probably be looking to, to take that approach against Leeds. I'd be quite surprised if they started in a three, um, just because the the feeling from listening to Jack and the fact that Fulham are at home this time, um, I think they'll be they'll be well, I think they'll be trying to get on the front foot even if they're. Even if they're sitting in a de- defensive structure, I just think from what Jack was saying about playing a back three, it just never allowed them to play the way that they want to. Um, so in that sense, I'd be quite surprised if they did that. I mean, if they were trying to match up against Leeds if, um, from a pressing point of view, I guess the the question that I'll, I'll throw back to you guys, but um, do you think that playing an, an out-and-out number 10 would be the best um, coming up against Leeds? Because then you can have a 10 just on Phillips the whole time um, and have have Fulham even done that um, in the past few games because it doesn't look like they have. Yeah, I think they've, they have used a 4-2-3-1 a few times, I guess, which, which matches up to us quite nicely. So right. I think that's probably um, a, a potential. Tom, I don't know what you, your thoughts on this are. Yeah, well, I, I, I haven't seen a huge amount of Fulham this season, but there was, I remember there was a couple of times early on in the season I watched them and I was quite impressed when they played a 4-4-2 or it might have been more of a Southampton-style narrow 4-4-2, I'm not sure. But I think this was before they signed Josh Madger, obviously. So I think Parker has obviously decided that Mitrovic has he's obviously decided it's just not going to work um, in, in the Premier League. Um, and, and he was playing basically two midfielders like as strikers I think or or sort of wide forwards as sort of um withdrawn strikers and they both pressed really well and I they caused loads and loads of problems in the press uh playing like that um so that's the one that would worry me the most I think um but that's not to say that it's what he will actually go for yes yeah, so he went with a 4-4 two or the 4-2-2-2 the narrow 4-4-2 which is really good for pressing um against Liverpool and I wonder whether or not he, we could see the same sort of thing happening against Leeds. And we know that Leeds have have struggled when they've had to play in the three three one three usually. Um, so that could be a that could be an op- option. Um, I also think that you know if they do go with the four three three in in the way that they did against Man City, you cause this problem with Leeds because Leeds then have to press onto their deep lying midfielder who's going to be Harrison Reed. So you'll you'll say what well, Tyler Roberts will push up onto him, but then you have two midfielders in front of him. And then the question is, you know, what do you do with Phillips? Do you push Phillips forward um and, and then leave space behind? Do you are you happy to have Phillips sort of playing out of position in that way, playing as an eight rather than as a four? Um I don't know if either of you guys have got any thoughts on that as well. I think the thing that I would do is is the latter um, is have Phillips still sitting um, and just moving to one side on on one of their eights um, rather than like pushing all the way up onto onto Fulham's four effectively. Um, I think I'd rather have Phillips and maybe Phillips and Click or Phillips and Dallas sort of look um, man marking the two eights and then like you say letting Tyler Roberts just um, take Fulham's four. I think that would be my preference. It's interesting, Joe, in that you were talking about the possibility of Fulham playing a four-two-three-one and with a number ten. I think that probably the reason they wouldn't do that is I don't think Loftus Cheek is a particularly creative player, and he's the player that seems to play there for them. And although it it would probably be quite good for them in terms of shutting us down, I think we could shut them down a lot more easily if they played that system because I think Phillips would have the measure of Loftus Cheek playing in that position. And I think Loftus Cheek would be an almost non-event in the game in attacking sense if he was playing as a 10. Yeah, although I do think that they're pressing. I mean, it, it all depends on how you view what Parker's trying to do. And I think from what I've been seeing when I've been watching them, it is very much just try and destabilise the opposition when they are trying to build up from the back. And we've seen that happen this season at times when when Leeds have had a, a player sitting on the defensive midfielder in the build-up phase. It can get quite stodgy in those situations. And um, we saw it happen with Manchester United, I think, on, on Phillips. We saw it happen with Brighton with um, with basically two of their their, their two deeper line midfielders pushing onto Strauch whenever the ball was was in the build-up phase as well. So um, I, I, I do wonder whether or not, you know, Loftus-Cheek's Loftus creativity in that sense could just come from his ability to press quite well in those in those situations as well. 
Possibly, yeah. Let's talk about the defence then. So given that Cooper's probably out, given what we said before about him having this mystery illness, um, if we go with the back four, that would be Llorente and Strauch. And I don't think anyone would have any problems with that. But I, I guess if we are then forced to go to a 3-1-3, three, 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 if they came out in a 4-2 four, four, in some iteration, it, who would we be playing as the, the third centre-back? Would we would, would be would we be going for Ailing or would we... We'd, would we be going for Berardi in that system? Well, I suppose Robin Cock is the other option, given that he did play for the under-23s. But um, I, I hadn't even considered Berardi, actually, when I was thinking about it. I, I can't see as starting Berardi. But, I mean, it, I guess it depends who plays in the midfield as well. Um, he doesn't seem to want to be starting um, click at the moment. So... I would guess that Phillips wouldn't drop into the back three, which is another option, and Phillips would play in in the in the midfield with Roberts. So, I guess I guess if Phillips plays in the midfield with Roberts, then you can play Dallas as the right wing back and Ailing as the right centre back without too many problems. Um, and with the back three, I think Alioski um, can some is is given a bit more cover as well. So, I think that would be my natural instinct. Joe, would you add anything to that? Not really. I just want to echo what Tom's saying and that I think because there is that scepticism about whether Fulham will play um, with two up front or with effectively just one up front um, or three, I suppose, um, I think that means that Alioski probably has to play because, like Tom says, then Alioski will be the left wing back and Dallas can shift over um, and Ailing can go to right centre-back. If Alioski doesn't play and you're looking to have a back four of Dallas um, Strauk, Uente and Ailing, um, and then they end up coming out with two strikers, then it's just a complete mess. Um, and <laughs> there's going to be so many players out of position because if you have Ailing as a right, uh, right centre back, then who's playing right back? And if Dallas plays there, then who's playing left back? And I just, I think for that reason, because there's that ambiguity, um, Alioski has to play just to give us a bit of versatility. Yeah, this is true. And, um, I think this, this is essentially the issue for the game, right? We've seen it before where sometimes Leeds will come out with, with one system and then switch to another in it. So I think when you're talking about the ideal formation that you have, you have to be able to take that into account. Um, you can do that, as you've said, Tom, by dropping Phillips into the back line, or you could do that by dropping Ailing into the back line. And I think that's probably the, the, the solution that we would see then. Um, and I, I guess... I'm just trying to think now in my head. It's quite hard to do the do the mental arithmetic in, on this one. But if you if you do push um, Ailing back, and then I, I suppose you've got Alioski playing on the left, you can then have Dallas dropping in on the right, and you essentially just lose him from the midfield space. So maybe that will be the the formation that we would go for a a four one four one with uh, Alioski and Ailing on either side, and then a midfield of uh, midfield two of Roberts and Dallas, and then you can drop. Dallas out into the right back area and, and um, switch Ailing into the into the right centre back space. So um, I think that's probably the way that they'll go about it. But it, uh, the, this game does give me a little bit of nervousness. I'm, I'm always a bit um, I'm always a bit tentative in signalling my nervousness on this podcast because suddenly it becomes it becomes a narrative and people say, well, you know, we worried about it and then it turned out to be absolutely fine. It could turn out to be absolutely fine, but I do think that, that Fulham are capable of causing us problems in the pressing um, situation. And, uh, you know, for me, I guess I'm seeing it, like I said, similar to that Southampton game where in the first half we we didn't look like we were up to much and then in the second half we we just looked much more dangerous because we were able to decompress quite quickly and we were we were able to be quite direct in it and it looked quite different as well so and we've seen as we've said we've seen that happen against Fulham before so yeah I, I do think this isn't a cut and dried uh, result and Fulham are on a good run of form and they are you know excited about getting the potential of getting out of a relegation zone that looked like they were completely sunk in it as well even a, a month or so ago so um let's talk about one final thing in terms of the Leeds team let's talk about the wingers um Tom Woodhead do you think that we'll see someone like Costa from the start in this game because Costa is a is a player that we've used well in those games where we need someone who we can find in a channel get the ball down and just try and stretch defenses I think it's definitely possible this is this is the kind of game that you'd play him if you're going to play him. I would be perfectly happy for Costa to start, but I'd also be fine if Harrison started. In general, I've I've said this quite a lot on the podcast. I, I'm not very um, I'm not very pro Harrison coming off the bench 
he never seems to do much so my instinct is usually to start him and see where we are and go from there um because as well it's just it's just a slightly safer option as well i think and you can always bring costa on at half time if you need to change things up whereas i don't think it works so well the other way around but i I would be totally fine with Costa starting because it is his kind of game. Uh, there'll be balls that he can run onto and cause problems in that way. Joe Hill, who do we need to be worried about on the Fulham side? Who are you worried about in particular? Just like Jack was saying, really, I think Lookman can be a big threat. Um, I'm surprised that we got through the whole opposition view without mentioning Lookman's penalty against West Ham because um, that's a huge moment in the season for me, which I absolutely love watching replays of. Um, so I just wanted to drop that in just to annoy any Fulham fans that might uh, <laughs> might be listening. But I I am worried about him as long as he's not on penalties. Um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty hard to say uh, aside from that because similar to Tom, I haven't seen that much of Fulham. But when I have, it it really seems to me that Lookman is the one that stands out, um, bringing the energy to the team. So I think if he has a big, if he has a an on day, then he he can be a real threat. Tom, would you add anyone to that? The thing I tend to find about Fulham is that they seem to have lots of very similar attacking players. Um, players who are quite good at dribbling, but quite in- inconsistent at dribbling. Um, and if you catch one or two of them both having a good day at the same, t- you know, two or three of them having a good day at the same time, then they can cause real problems. But I wouldn't pick any of them out as particularly standout individuals. But again, this is coming from a position of relative ignorance, having not watched them that much. But yeah, as I say, they they, they seem to have quite a few quite flaky but talented attacking players so that I think we are we are you always have to be switched on against them because I think they a lot of them do have more talent than they show on a regular basis as I said to Jack on the other side of the team sheet who needs to do well for for Leeds on on Friday Tom I think we haven't had a real standout game from Rafinha for a while and we always expect him to do everything now so uh, it'd be nice if he could step up but um, I would like to see um, whoever is playing in that attacking midfield role, and I'm guessing it's going to be Roberts um, rather than Click. Um, I, I, I just, I, I would like to see. Um, I'm not sure how important it is for the game, but I would just like to see Roberts rewarded for his improved performances recently with a goal or, or an assist again. Um, I just think he deserves it, and um, the fans are quite often on his back at the moment. So I, I quite like to see Roberts put in a really decisive performance. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing about Roberts. I think um, he deserves a goal and it would be great to see. Um, the other player that I want to add to the list is Alioski, if he does play, um, because I think he sort of got away with one against Chelsea. I have to say he didn't look that good um, from the left-back position and he was losing a lot of 1v1s. Um, so it'd be good to see him step up and, and bounce back with a good performance. And how do you see the game going, Joe? I think there's going to be goals in it. It's been a while since Leeds have scored. Um, and I think Fulham are, are, are good defensively. Um, and they, they, they will probably look to not concede. But I think that there is going to be goals. Um, I'm not sure about from both sides. I don't, I don't really like to say it. I don't like to be too negative. But um, yeah, I think this is there's probably going to be goals in because both teams like to dominate possession. And I think it's going to be one of those games where possession turns over quite a lot. Um, and there's potentially um, a lot of space in, be- in behind both teams on the counter-attack. Yeah, I, w- I would say similar, really. Um, I'm sure we're going to go for the jugular on this one from the start because I don't think there's much... I don't think there's much... It's not it's not one of those games where we're going to be really unsure as to how they're going to approach it beyond their formation I don't think I don't it's you do get the occasional game like Leicester and things like that where they have multiple ways of playing um I don't think it's going to be one of those games I think I think Bielsa will be fairly sure as to the the sorts of methods and the, the ways that they're going to play if not the exact formation so yeah I think I think we'll um we'll be attacking they'll be pressing but um not committing too many bodies forward when they have the ball and hopefully we can sort of strangle them a little bit when they start approaching our half because I think that's what happens to Fulham um, as far as I can tell when they're when they're not playing well it's they don't have enough ideas in an attacking sense to um, to, to to get around uh, an energetic and well-drilled team which is definitely us so uh, hopefully it will go that way. Well there you have it that's the all stats aren't we Fulham preview. If you want to hear more of us, 
then you're in luck. We have a Patreon channel with bonus episodes of podcast episodes and video analyses on there as well. I've got an analysis of the Chelsea game on there from this week. So if that sounds interesting to you, then do head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And we'll be back at some point this weekend with a review. We haven't actually organized when we're going to be doing it, but I suspect it will be on either Saturday or Sunday. So keep an eye out for that. And here we are at the end of the podcast. So all there is for me to do is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Joe. Cheers. And we'll see you, and we'll be back with you next week. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.